Hello, this is Father Neil here, and welcome to the July 24th episode of the podcast, Catechism with Father Neil. Today we'll be looking at number 1625 through 1632 of the Catechism. 3. Matrimonial Consent 1625. The parties to a marriage covenant are a baptised man and woman, free to contract marriage, who freely express their consent... To be free means not being under constraint, not impeded by any natural or ecclesiastical law. 1626. The Church holds that the exchange of consent between the spouses to be the indispensable element that makes the marriage. If consent is lacking, there is no marriage. 1627. The consent consists in a human act which the partners mutually give themselves to each other. I take you to be my my wedded wife, I take you to be my wedded husband. This consent that binds the spouses to each other finds fulfilment in the two becoming one flesh. 1628. The consent must be an act of the will of each of the contracting parties, free of coercion or grave external fear. No human power can substitute for this consent. If this freedom is lacking, the marriage is invalid. 1629. For this reason, or for other reasons that render the marriage marriage null and void, the Church, after an examination of the situation by the competent ecclesiastical tribunal, can declare the nullity of a marriage, that is, that the marriage never existed. In this case, the contracting parties are free to marry, provided the natural obligations of a previous union are discharged. 1630. The priest or deacon who assists at the celebration of a marriage receives the consent of the spouses in the name of the church and gives the blessing of the church. The presence of the church's minister and also of the witnesses visibly expresses the fact that the marriage is an ecclesiastical reality. 1631. This is the reason why the Church normally requires that the faithful contract marriage according to the ecclesiastical form. Several reasons converge to explain this requirement. Sacramental marriage is a liturgical act. It is therefore appropriate that it should be celebrated in a public liturgy of the Church. Marriage introduces one into into an ecclesial order and creates rights and duties in the Church between the spouses and towards their children. Since marriage is a state of life in the church, certainty about it is necessary, hence the obligation to have witnesses. The public character of the consent protects the I do once given and helps the spouses remain faithful to it. 1632. So that the I do of the spouses may be a free and responsible act and so that the marriage covenant may have solid and lasting human and Christian foundations, preparations for marriage is of prime importance. The example and teaching given by parents and families remain the special form of this preparation. The role of pastors and of the Christian community as the family of God is indispensable for the transmission of the human and Christian values of marriage and family. And much more so in our era, when many young people experience broken homes, 
which no longer sufficiently assured this initiation. It is imperative to give suitable and timely instruction to young people about all in the heart of their own, above all in the heart of their own families, about the dignity of married love, its role and its exercise, so that having learnt the value of chastity, they will be able at a suitable age to engage in honourable courtship and enter upon a marriage of their own. Very well. This section um, on the consent in marriage, that marriage is, um, marriage is made by consent, that uh, the, the Catholic Church, especially the Western Church, uh, teaches very clearly that the um, matrimonial consent is what makes marriage. That it is a giving of oneself. A giving, a mutual giving of the husband to the wife and of the wife to the husband. And it's not simply, um, as I said, that the, the Eastern theology is slightly different, but in the West, it's not simply that the priest blesses it. You know, I mean, if you find, uh, I don't know, if you find a beautiful girl and you uh, decide to marry her and you get uh, a shotgun and you put it in front of her and you force her to come with you and the Pope does lots of beautiful prayers and she says, I do, I do, I do. But you've got the shotgun pointed at her so she can't say, go to hell, I'd never marry you. Uh, Then um, that's not a marriage. The Pope can have said the most beautiful prayers. And obviously that isn't going to happen, but sometimes it does happen, unfortunately, that for one reason or another, people enter into the ceremony of a marriage without really being able to contract marriage for one reason or another. Um, again, I don't want to get too much into the, the the annulment process, but the annulment process is not something that ends a Catholic marriage. It's a process that recognises that a marriage was never there to start with. And this is why this is why Catholicism often operates in these grey areas. It would be very nice to have some sort of a very clear answer saying yes, no. That in this case, definitely you're married because you were in the church and we saw you getting married. No, being in the church, saying the words, people seeing it, having witnesses is very important. But deep down there has to be this giving this entrance into communion, entrance into a particular communion with a husband, between a husband and a wife. This is what marriage is. A communion that is exclusive, a communion that is eternal, and a communion that is open to life, open to having children. This is what makes a marriage. And if something isn't there, then this consent isn't there. And there is no marriage. So that if, for example, one of the party has a lover and, um, I don't know, the, the, the woman, the wife has a toy boy and she has this guy that she has uh, in an apartment and she's just renewed the lease of the apartment for her lover the day before she gets married, then you can say, well, she never intended that marriage to be, uh, to be exclusive. And then you can, uh, the church can eventually give... Um, Uh, a dispensation or what do you call it uh, an annulment of this marriage to say that this marriage never took place because she had no intention of being married and so these um, you know these things and uh, you know that this is why it's so important to have this consent 
consent is something that is something that you can't see it. And yet it is something that is fundamental to marriage. If you don't have consent, you don't have marriage. And that this is um, and this is why people enter into marriage or should enter into marriage free. And um, this is why the church has the other things around it. The, um, getting married in public, getting married in front of uh, witnesses, in front of the priest using the formula approved by the church. That these things that they call canonical form are very necessary, very good. But the fundamentally they're to guarantee the free giving, the free giving of each other. And this is to help it, to support it. And so this is what marriage is about, this consent, this mutual consent, which again, like everything else that we're looking at in this, um, in this presentation of faith that is given in the catechism, is ultimately a, a form of communion. Everything boils down to communion in Christianity because everything bears the imprint of the Trinity, even marriage, uh, especially marriage. It bears this imprint of the Trinity as one of the sacraments and this unity. Christ, uh, St. Paul says that it is a, a sacrament that makes present the love that Christ has for his church. So this is what marriage is about, is about communion. And for communion, you need to have a giving and to have this giving to the other, this openness to the other, this love for the other, this giving oneself, opening, you need to have consent. And this is why matrimonial consent is so important. So very well. So tomorrow we'll continue. And tomorrow we'll look at numbers 1538 to 15, for, sorry, 1638 to 1642. God bless.